Welcome to the Creative Community Podcast, where we discuss the intersection between the arts and Israel. I am Ari Engel, the director of Creative Community for Peace, and today's guest on the pod is the founder of the Endeavor Talent Agency, which merged with William Morris to form WME. He oversees the agency's TV division, in addition to its sports broadcast, sports marketing, and golf divisions. His clients have produced some of the world's biggest shows, including Law and Order, Homeland, Will and Grace, In Treatment, The Affair, Malcolm in the Middle, amongst many others. In addition to having a passion and love for Israel and the television community there, we're excited to welcome Rick Rosen to the Creative Community Podcast today. Rick, I would say how you're doing, but these days it's more how you coping. <laughs> I agree with that. Thank you for asking. You know, uh, we're healthy, not good. You know, um, we're isolated and I miss my kids. But other than that, we're doing okay. Good to hear. And not to spend too much time talking about the coronavirus, but I think this being an entertainment industry podcast as well, it would be remiss not to touch on it a bit. I know the WME offices are closed. How has the transition been to working at home with everyone? Clearly, it's not business as usual. Well, it's definitely not business as usual. But I think now that we're three weeks into this, people are getting more comfortable it's amazing, uh, you know, how everyone has taken to the technology. Probably more amazing how I've taken to the technology <laughs> than for the other people in the company. And I suspect when we're through with this whole thing that it will have changed how we all do business to some extent. Um, but, uh, you know, time will tell. Uh, certainly. I mean, maybe there's going to be a lot more remote meetings as opposed to in-person meetings. It's going to be interesting to see how that develops. I think you're right. Um, and people in the Twitterverse keep saying, I'm not sure if you're following the Twitterverse, but it, the rumor is that there aren't going to be any new shows in the fall or winter. Is this true or is there so much in the pipeline that it doesn't really matter? Well, it certainly matters. Um, I think that a lot of that depends upon when the social distancing directives end and when you know, we can get back into production. If we're in production at some point in the summer, I think shows will be available in the fall, varying maybe a little bit later in the fall. But you know, normally in the broadcast business, fall shows start production in the summer anyway, um, and writers are writing. So if if we do get into production this summer, it shouldn't be as disruptive to the broadcast business. Movies, releasing of films, you know, uh, other show, other, you know, bigger projects are a little bit more challenged. And of course, scheduling yeah. for actors and directors is going to be very complicated. It's certainly, because you can't, everybody's delaying what they're shooting now, pushing it down the line. You know, not everybody's going to be available for every project all of a sudden. So I'm assuming exactly. there's going to be delays there. So, and as you mentioned, the film industry, we saw Sony today, is the delaying the release of several films. Warner's delayed the release of Wonder Woman. 
Uh, are television stations and streaming services like Netflix, are they doing the same with TV shows? Are they holding some back so they have more to release later? Or are they continuing with the schedule they have? The streaming services seem to be dropping shows that they have. But at some point, that pipeline is going to dry up. You know, um, so to the extent that networks and platforms have shows in the can, they can release them. But as I said, you know, at some point, you know, that dries up. Right. And, and is Corona affecting new shows in terms of being bought in Greenland? Is that all on hold right now or are deals still being done? Deals are being done. It's a little bit harder. You know, um, uh, there are a lot of pitches that are going on over video conference. So it, I think it's slowed down a little bit, but they are still buying. We'll see how long that goes on for. Got it. Okay. So shifting over a little bit, we have a lot of young people that listen to this podcast and they like to get a little background on our guests and how they got their start. Personally, me, I, I grew up in LA and becoming an agent has always been one of the more glamorous things to do. But I personally was always frightened of working in a mailroom. So I never went and did that. But I, I know you went to law school and you, how did you parlay that into a career as an agent? Well, I, you know, I came from a different route. You know, unlike, you know, I'd say 90% of agents who, as you say, start in the mailroom and work their way up. I came from a different route. You know, I was a lawyer by training. I started my career, you know, at a studio in business affairs. I then worked, you know, in various capacities at a studio, then finally found my way into television development. And when I was in television development, I worked with a lot of agents and, and oh, it kind of loved what they did. And then I realized that I liked what they did better than what I did. And so ultimately, you know, moved over to an agency after I'd been in the business for a while, quite a while. Yeah, a little bit more glamorous than uh, just being a lawyer and, and doing the paperwork, right? Trust me, what I did was not glamorous. But, <laughs> but, but I, I finally, you know, I made it, you know, a different route, but I made it to the agency business. Sure. Okay. And the shifting to Israel on a personal level, where did your passion and connection to Israel come from? You know, it's a, it's actually a great story. You know, um, I really had no connection to Israel, quite frankly, growing up. And as a young adult, my only connection really was many years ago when my son was being bar mitzvahed, we went to Israel uh, with our immediate family and grandparents and we did his bar mitzvah there. You know, that son is now in his mid-30s. So that was a long time ago. And I never went back. Um, my true passion came in a very interesting way. You know, about you know, 12, 13 years ago, um, I was at my desk at Endeavor one day, and I got out of the blue a phone call from a writer, director, producer from Israel whose name was Haggai Levy. I never heard of him. I never knew, I didn't know anyone in Israel and don't even know how he got my phone number. And he told me that he had just produced this show that was a successful show in Israel for their cable network, for their HBO-like cable network. The show was called Bitty Pool and it was about a psychiatrist who saw a different client, a different patient, I should say, every day. And I said, he said he, he had a feeling that it might work as a show in the States. Now, I had done 
format deals to turn British shows into American series, um, but never with an Israeli show. And I said to him, send me the DVDs. I'll take a look at it. And so he sent me DVDs, shows you how long ago that was. And um, you know, kind of forgot about the call, quite frankly. And about, I don't know, two weeks later, three weeks later, these DVDs showed up with Hebrew writing on them in my office. And they sat on my desk for about a day or so. And a colleague walked into my office and said, what's this Hebrew writing? And I explained to her what it was. This guy had called me about it. And she said, do you mind if I take a look at it? I said, please. She came back the next day and she said, I watched all five because it was a show about a psychiatrist who every day of the week saw a different patient. And on the last day saw his own psychiatrist. And she said, I watched all five. The show's incredible. And was it in Hebrew then that he sent it over? Or it was in Hebrew with English subtitles. Wow. And so I took it home. And uh, at the time, my wife was pretty sick. And um, we weren't going out. And I said, I told her the story. And I said, look, we'll put one in. If, if we don't like it, we don't have to watch it. And we'll keep watching them if we like them. We watched all five without stopping that night. And I called and I called a guy on Monday and I said, I can sell this show. I want you to come here. And that show became in treatment. And it was the first ever Israeli show done in, in the States. Haggai and I became very close. And, and he introduced me to a number of his friends who were Israeli writers. And I sold a couple of other Israeli shows. The show at NBC, a sitcom at CBS. And then one day he said to me, I want you to meet my former boss. Uh, his name is Avi Nir. He's the most important media executive in Israel. He runs the largest network and studio in Israel called Keshet. And I'd like you to meet him. Um, he, and I spoke to him on the phone and he was going to be in New York and I flew to New York to meet him. And um, I ended up going into business and representing Keshet where we sold a couple more shows. And I started going to Israel. And I became, now I not only had this really good friend, Haggai Levy, but I became friendly with with Avi Nir, and I started having this connection to Israel. And one day, you know, Avi invited me to Israel to give a talk to his network about trends in American television. And he said to me, as we were walking down the hallway, he said, remind me when we have lunch, I want to tell you about a show that I was pitched to see if it works. It might work in the States. And he told me, he said to me at lunch, do you know who Galad Shalit is? I said, of course, I know who Galad Shalit is. He's was the last Israeli soldier captured by Hezbollah. Yeah. And he said, well, imagine if there were three Galad Shalits and only two come back and they were given up for dead and their families didn't know that they were still alive and their lives had moved on and they're being sort of debriefed by the Mossad and something seemed a little strange onward and onward. It becomes this kind of mystery, conspiracy. And I said, absolutely, I can sell that show. It can be an American soldier or soldiers in Iraq and Afghanistan. And I said, I have the exact writer who could write it. It would be Howard Gordon. And he said, you mean Howard Gordon from 24? I said, yes. He said, perfect. 
So he commissioned the script uh, for the Israeli series that was called Hatufim, which is called, which is translated to Prisoners of War. And it ran for a season, ultimately two seasons, but the first season in Israel. And when I was, when I flew home from Israel from that trip, uh, on the way to my house from the airport, I called Howard Gordon and I told him the conversation and he said, sounds great. I'd love to read the script. So a couple of months later, I don't remember exactly how much time, a month or so later, I sent him the script and he said, this is really interesting. And I'd like to do this with Alex. Alex Gonzo was his old partner uh, and good friend. And they then took this and made it their own, which is the best way that format shows work. They didn't do the Israeli series. They used the inspiration of the Israeli series and created their own series and, you know, made it two instead of three soldiers. They made the investigator to be a woman who was bipolar. And of course that became Homeland. And uh, so, you know, that was kind of, the story of Homeland and, and it's kind of my connection to how I got it. It's the final season, which I mean, was a monster, monster hit for Showtime, obviously. Yeah. yeah. And just this past year, we've had Euphoria, The Spy, Red Sea Diving Resort. I mean, the floodgates since that in treatment, since you brought that over, seem to have been open. What is it about the Israeli market that is developing these shows? You know, I'm frequently asked that question and there's, you know, there's no answer to that other than, you know, they're great storytellers. It's what makes a great show, a great show from England or from Australia or from Scandinavia. You know, great writers are great writers, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I mean, we can be glib and say Jews are great storytellers, which is kind of true. But um, look, they're aggressive people who are great storytellers there are great writers over there. There's a, there's a vibrant, small but vibrant film industry, and they're, they're terrific. I think Haggai Levy uh, is as good a writer as I've ever, not only represented, but ever read. You know, obviously he did, you know, In Treatment and Bitty Pool, but he also did this year's, to me, which is one of the best things I've ever been involved in, uh, this year's show, Our Boys. Yeah. You know, which on was HBO. on HBO, which was a phenomenal, phenomenal series. And, um, you know, it's it's a very compelling drama and they tell great stories. Well, to talk about talk about our boys for a second. To me, that show really showcased the power of coexistence. And I know a lot of people and a lot of Israeli politicians, well, some of them at least were criticizing the show because it focused on the one. Palestinian boy instead of the three Jewish kids that got killed. But I think when you zoom out on that show, it was made by Arabs and Jews. It was, you know, directed by Arabs and Jews, starred Arabs and Jews, and co-written by Arabs and Jews. Was that important to have both Arabs and Jews tell that story? When you went into helping create that show, was that something that... Well, when, when, it, was, when it was initially conceived... Haggai was planning on doing the show really about the murder of the three boys, three Israeli boys. And he actually wrote a script, which was fantastic about that. But the more he thought about it and the more he thought about it, this really was, you know, he felt the show was bigger than that. And, and what our boys evolved into was not a show about politics or about Arabs or 
empathy for Palestinians or empathy for Israelis. This is a study of a hate crime. Yeah. And that's what this show is about. It's about hate crimes. You know, um, there is no stereotype or, or, you know, about any of these characters. The, you know, we can feel empathy as a human being for what, or as a parent, for what the parents, you know, of the, you know, of the Abu Qadirs, of what they felt. Yeah. You can feel empathy for the three mothers of the Israeli boys, you know, who lost children. This is all, all of these families were affected by hate crimes. And that's what this show tried to do. It did not try to characterize settlers or religious people as evil. These, this was abhorrent and, you know, behavior that is not typical of all settlers or all religious people, obviously, you know, um, but it's complicated. Like the, you know, living in the Middle East is very complicated. And the story of coexistence between Palestinians and Israelis is complicated. And I think it highlights that. But no one who watches that series can look at, you know, the acting of any of those actors and say it's not phenomenal, whether it's, whether it's the Avishai, you know, the boy who was ultimately convicted yeah. with his two older cousins or uncle and cousin or, or, or the, the acting by the, the parents who played the Abu Qadir, which, were, which was unbelievable, unbelievably compelling performance. You know, all the performances were great. The direction was great. You know, this is, this is a shared experience a shared painful experience, yeah. you know, and um, I just think the show, you know, is one of the things I'm most proud of in my career. And also, Ari, if I could just mention, okay, that yes, in the beginning, there were some politicians, in particular, the prime minister, who yeah. criticized the show. They criticized the show without watching the show, right? They didn't, they never saw it. They were invited to screenings. They were invited to take a look at it. They never did. Interesting. All they did was tweet about it and, and do press about it. And frankly, all the negative press in the very beginning, which was only in the very beginning, did nothing except help the ratings of the show. As I say, all, all press is good press. But I agree. I mean, once you watch that and the way it was shot, just beautifully shot, and the story told, I mean, you just can, it was, it was extremely compelling. And as I said, when you zoom out and it's the story of, you know, the settlers and Jews and Arabs, you know, in conflict with each other. But when you zoom out and you realize it was made by Jews and Arabs. And so they literally worked together to make this thing and Jews and Arab actors. And so there is, while there's this conflict, they are you know, using art to bring each other together and tell stories. And this one was a painful story. Shifting a little bit, so I know there's also, you work with Keshet, there's the Innovative TV Conference that you regularly attend. Uh, and you know, and it's interesting because in the music world where I come from, Sweden sort of become that hub where outside of America and the UK, where people sort of go to find new talent or develop talent. But this conference draws some of the biggest American executives from all the major network. Is that something you've helped to put together? And maybe tell me a little bit about that. No, it is. You know, I, I've worked with Keshet for, I don't know, I don't know how long it's been, eight years or nine years to put this conference together. 
um, it, you know, it's a lot of work. It's interesting, you know, I, I've, I've been fortunate. We, we've, put, we've had some of the biggest executives in the television industry come to this conference in Jerusalem, people that you couldn't get in Los Angeles or yeah. New York to be on the same stage. It's incredible. It's phenomenal. It's not just people from the States. It's also people from the UK, from Africa, from China. We've had people from all over the world. It's a phenomenal conference. Um, and, uh, you know, it's also, you know, frankly, coincidentally, you know, where I met my wife. So it's kind of a, there you, go. you know, a funny uh, serendipitous thing. But yeah. the conference is great. Um, we took a year off this year we decided we needed kind of a breather and we'll go back next year. I'm glad we did that because it would have been canceled anyway because of coronavirus because it's yeah. always held in March, but um, we'll be back next year. Oh, great. So I would like to end this podcast with me just asking five questions and it could be an, a line or two. It could be a couple sentences, whatever pops in your head. Um, digital streaming platforms such as Netflix and Hulu. What about them? Whatever pops in your head. And <laughs> maybe that's what pops in your head. <laughs> no, no, no. They're, no, they're great for business. Okay. Um, Haggai Levy. Best writer I've ever worked with. And my, one of my, like a center of my life. I love it. Homeland in its final season. Mixed emotions, right? Proud and, and sad. Yeah. It's, it's been a great show. Um, favorite television series of all time. Wow. Well, I have to say two because Hope your clients don't get mad at you. you no, know, I mean <laughs> our boys is one, yeah. Homeland is one, and The Sopranos. Okay. Did you have anything to do with The Sopranos? Nothing. Okay, good. <laughs> we got we got the answer there. Um, the last question: the cultural boycott movement against Israel. You know, it's just incredibly disturbing to me, and you know, I think art is something that brings people together. And um, why we could have cultural exchanges with Russia, right? Who have an incredibly antagonistic and hostile view towards the LGBT community, among other problems, and do cultural exchanges with China, who, you know, there are massive human rights violations, you know, but we can't have cultural exchange, you know, where people are, are fighting cultural exchanges. Uh, through Israel to me is incredibly, you know, hypocritical and duplicitous. Yeah, agreed. Anyhow, I know you got a, you're, you're busy. So thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, once again, everybody can find the podcast wherever you stream them, Spotify, Google, uh, Apple, and Stitcher. Rick, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Take care.